You're listening to the Journey to Impact Fireside Chat Series with Gino Borges, curator of the Poetry of Impact, a platform for supporting the collective inquiry into deep impact. As a part of the Poetry of Impact, the Journey to Impact podcast brings to life the ebb and flow inherent on the path of impact, illuminating the interior journey of the hearts and minds of today's top leaders in impact. Here, you'll hear the intimate stories of those who push forward to overcome self-limitations and societal barriers, to co-create a world where one day, all people and planet can thrive together. Hi, I'm Gino Borges, curator of the Journey to Impact podcast series. Joining us today is Bruce Campbell. Bruce is the founder and chief happiness officer of Blue Dot Law, a law firm that assists clients operating in over 20 countries on six of the seven continents. Bruce enjoys working with clients as a partner and as a facilitator, representing entrepreneurs, NGOs, and investors in more than $130 million of impact uh, transactions in the last few years. Bruce is an impact investor himself and has committed to invest 100% of his assets in support of sustainable business practices. When he's not working, Bruce enjoys all things outdoors, especially trail running, biking, and snowboarding. Lastly, Bruce is a member of Tonic, which is a global network of impact investors. And I'm proud to announce that this conversation with Bruce is brought to you as part of a partnership between the Poetry of Impact and Tonic. Welcome, Bruce. Thanks, Gino. Very nice to be with you. So, Bruce, I was intrigued by just, like, I have a particular impression of the field of law. I think my impression is not unique at all. Um, I think it's probably probably the very conventional one. I'm not even going to fill in what that cliched understanding is. You you already know it. So let's, and the bulk of my listeners already know what the conventional impression is about um, the field of law or the practice of law. And I was like, wow, this is so darn creative. I remember when I got introduced uh, to you and Kim from Tonic says, you should really check out this Bruce Campbell guy. I and mean, he's doing really creative work. I was like, in what field? And he says, law. I was like, really? And I was like, well, this is interesting. I was like, well, let me check this out. So where did this all begin for you, Bruce? Where, where did you decide it's like, wow, you know, law can be more than what people uh, think it can be. Uh, and more importantly, it can be impactful, not just on people on the planet, but in terms of how we just practice law on a day-to-day basis. That's, that's a great question. So, you know, it really, it really came out of a, a personal journey in a lot of ways, a spiritual journey. And I, um, and I found myself probably 11 years ago in, in position, uh, a, a little bit of a spiritual crisis in, in a sense, but, but feeling like uh, I was spending most of my time at work as, as we tend to do. And I was finding that I didn't, I wasn't passionate about what I was doing. It was mostly a, a means to an end. And I also had this deep, this deep sense of I need to be committing my life energy to something meaningful um, and, and something that's sort of outside of my, myself. And uh, so I did some examination about what that means to me. I had this idea that I wanted to commit, commit my work to advance my kind of personal goals around service to the world and around personal fulfillment and meaning. And, 
And so I wondered what that meant. Should I, should I become a monk? Should I become a teacher? Should I, what, you know, how do I have the most impact and a positive impact given my, my skills and training and um, interests? And then, and I thought, well, can I do this with law? And I was, I was skeptical about it, frankly, <laughs> you know, and, um, but I had some conversations and I, you know, I started to sort of exam, you know, learn more about at that time, mostly people were talking about social entrepreneurship and I was learning that there were, you know, passionate people out there who were you know, working on businesses that with this new idea that, you know, business could be a force for good in the world, you know, business could transform social and environmental problems. And, um, and I saw them out with their, their, this passion and these business ideas. And, and I saw that they often lacked sophisticated legal counsel. And, and, um, and so I thought, well, I, you know, I had that, that, at that time, 10 plus years of all of this sophisticated, you know, legal training and, and, you know, one of the largest law firms in the world. And I thought, well, you know, what if I were to leverage that training and, and try to support people who are in this field of social entrepreneurship, and in particular, try to help help move capital? Um, at that time, I was really focused on moving capital from the U.S. Uh, into in places in emerging economies to address problems there. So that you know, so that was that was how I. And then I I also made a promise to myself though that if I'm going to you know not only do I want my work my work to be focused on this area of social entrepreneurship or impact investing, but I want to be able to come rather than having to be sort of fit in the professional mold of a, a lawyer and what people expect to be a lawyer. What if I just, in myself, you know, what if I just bring my whole authentic, genuine self to what I do? And, and really to some extent being led by my heart and my, my passions, um, again, rather than, rather than to fit in this mold of the lawyer who is supposed to be almost idealist and passionless, right? You know, you're, you're supposed to do be there to you know execute tr transactions or to argue legal cases and what if i had my own point of view that i was bringing to the work so we, like what in particular is unique to um impact law so as you currently described it it's as if you were attracted to social entrepreneurs because they're mission oriented but is is it still one-dimensional legal advice that's being applied to the impact space or is there something unique about the legal practice itself that you're bringing to the impact space so, so like have you made has see, see have you turned the legal practice and made it impactful as well or is it just one conventional or you know one dimensional legal practice that we're all familiar with applied to a space that you really like I would say it's the former, and we, we, I mean, we view ourselves as a, as a uh, kind of mission-driven, mission-driven business, and and I think, uh, you know, we're we're not we're a benefit corporation. We're also a workers cooperative, and um, and part of our part of our mission as an organization is, I mean, there are there are some things about sort of impact law that are different from a technical standpoint, right? And, and so we obviously want to be expert in, in, in those areas and in that knowledge. And, but what we're really trying to do is um, help, help entrepreneurs or help investors 
who want to sort of move outside of the box, who have ideas that, that, are, that are innovative, that are new, that are potentially transformative, and help them in their journey in, in sort of creating a business enterprise or creating an invest, investment vehicle or doing a project where there's really no precedent. And, and really what they're doing may run up against established norms of how one does business or how one invests or, or even often it's helping people put together projects that the laws that exist now would never have even contemplated you know and and so and what we see is what's different about us is that we our 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 sense of mission of why we do what we do is aligned with the mission of our clients and so therefore we're much more motivated and we have an intrinsic motivation to try to make these kinds of projects work, right? And so, whereas I think with conventional lawyers, there, there, there tends to be an almost inherent conservatism there, which is really what they want to try to do is, you know, help people do things that have already been done, you know, um, for the most part. And they're very, very uncomfortable working in gray areas of the law, right? And, and so, and, and, and usually I think the lawyer's knee-jerk reaction is if I'm in a gray area of the law, let me, let me try to get out of that grayness, right, and, and find some sort of bright line because that's more comfortable to me. Where, where we'll explore that gray area of the clients and we'll acknowledge it as gray, and discuss the risks of, of taking certain actions in that gray area. But, but we'll go on a journey with them if they want to take, if they want to take more risk in, in what they're doing. So, and I think that, and I think also, I mean, we, you know, I mentioned just in the very structure of, of our law firm, we. We are, we are trying to create a law firm that where people who are um, trained in, in corporate law and can actually also feel like they're doing something meaningful in the world, you know, and, and, and you know, when we attract new people to our firm, it's like, it's like this, they have this sense of sort of breath of fresh air, like, oh, I can actually be myself here in this environment and I'm in a corporate law firm that values healthy living and you know, kind of holistic health and well-being and, and not, and, you know, not just billable hours and making money. Yeah. So when you mentioned alignment, you're aligned with the social entrepreneur. Um, can you give us an example of what alignment looks like in terms of being invested with, um, you know, the social entrepreneur or the investment platform that you're assisting with? Sure. I mean, one is, um, I mean, there's an alignment, immediate alignment of sort of, we understand why you're doing what you're doing because we're doing what we do for the same reason, right? Like I don't do what I do to make money. That's, you know, an output of what I do. But what I really do is like, what really what's why I get up and do what I do every day is because I want to have a positive impact on the world. And I think we find that as well with our clients. And so, mm -hmm. so we can kind of get each other on, on that level. Mm -hmm. And then I think, you know, and I think where, um, you know, because of that, that investment, I think we can just, I think we can bring more energy and more passion and more commitment to what we're doing often, right? And, um, you know, so, you know, so for example, I mean, in some projects, I'm particularly sort of interested in, in, in clients who are working on issues around, you know, systemic injustice or you know economic injustice racial injustice you know, for example and um 
you know, I, I remember I had a client who, who was putting together this very interesting, interesting fund that was really um, seeking to be fundamentally different in how it approached investing in outside of the United States and sort of emerging markets. And as part of putting together this fund, they had an in-person retreat experience that was, you know, five business days long. It was everyone getting together to do, do this, um, you know, dialogue around how to build this fund. And I, you know, so I, I flew to Mexico City and sort of just on my own time participated in that, not as a paid engagement because I was yeah. interested in what they were doing. Yeah. And then uh, you mentioned your setup as a cooperative. What's a cooperative look like and what was the inspiration for setting it? And was it originally set up as a cooperative or was this something you transitioned to? Like there was sort of an aha moment. It's like, you know, we should really think about arranging so the, you know, the equity pie or the vesting pie or whatever you want to call it, the ownership interest and the collective interest of the group in this particular way. Sort of how did all that manifest? Sure. So when I started this, I, I you know, just from a business form standpoint, it, you know, it was a, as corporation, I owned it solely. And, and as, as the practice grew and I started bringing partners and bringing other people in the organization, I felt increasingly uncomfortable with the fact that I was the owner. It didn't feel consistent with my values or what we were even counseling other clients around and, um, in terms of you know, kind of building inclusive governance structures. And so, so you know, when on really an exploration with you know my colleagues at that time to think about a form that would sort of best represent both our values and would also sort of make economic sense you know, you know tax and other considerations and and we landed on this cooperative i think you know one of the things is it actually it has some tax benefits for us but um from a you know governance standpoint we like it because of of the ethic and really the legal requirement that that the organization be governed by and for the members and and that it's it's one member one vote so you know Usually in law firms, the people that control the law firm are the people who have the most economic power. Um, and we're here with sort of, you know, once you're a member, you're a member. And if you're a new partner, you have the same vote as me who's been, you know, doing this for 20 plus, plus years. So we really like that aspect of it. And we also, you know, we also designed it so there's, there's a, um, Really, it mandates a high level of, of consensus building and decisions. So, so you know, in our governing documents, so this, you know, this sort of modified consensus consensus decision making process, which really again tries to bring everybody in the conversation as much, much as possible, have have decisions made that are that are based on on consensus and, and sort of a collective understanding of what's beneficial. Again, rather than just looking at you know efficiency in decision making, the majority. Yeah. So how do you, as the founder, even though you said that you um, felt uneasy at a certain point, like having that much authority, even though this was a principle that you were advising your clients like not to do, um, I'm guessing that there's moments where, you know, let's say that, um, you know, I'm your spiritual practice um, is just goes all of a sudden takes a backseat to maybe sort of an ego moment. And yeah. I mean, how do you sort of deal? I mean, you are the founder. Uh, you've been practicing law for 20 uh, plus years and all of a sudden you have um, a new person that just joined 
the uh, cooperative. Sort of take me through in the inevitable moment where you're pressed with a situation like, ah, this is really something I really know well uh, because I've just been around a lot of rodeos. Um, and yet, how do you stay open to the, you know, the new voice? And then yet, how do you sort of also honor a certain amount of reality that some people have seasoned um, outlooks and seasoned ways? So just like, I mean, how's that dialectic uh, massaged, managed, danced with for you? Hmm. So, I mean, that, that really continues to be a learning experience for me. I, you know, there are moments where I find myself losing, losing patience and, um, and sort of asserting a view or in a way almost trying to do kind of a power move on, on a certain, a certain issue, just because I feel like I know the right answer. And again, I, I get caught up in this idea of what, you know, that efficiency is important or paramount. And, um, and uh, but I mean, honestly, it's, it's part of like, it's part of a kind of ongoing practice for me and kind of learning slash unlearning experience as, as sort of a, you know, white heterosexual, heterosexual sort of economically privileged person is, how do I, um, how do I, how do I bring more humility to my kind of everyday life, and especially how do I bring humility to situations where I could could exert power, or instead in sort of set, you know, step step back um, and try to be in a position of really listening, listening to others, and um, and, uh, and and really kind of trying to have a focus on what's most important, again, is sort of, even it might seem a little raggedy and inefficient at times, understanding what's really important is, is kind of collective, is really collective well-being. And that's, that's part of the reason why I named myself the Chief Happiness Officer. It was, it was kind of, a, it was a reminder for me that that's, that has to be the bottom line, you know, that really the bottom line has to be happiness, both for myself and the people in my organization and um and that's what needs to be sort of top of mind what's it look like so i did i introduced you as founder and chief happiness officer and um that is not only an identity that appears that you've taken on but i'm guessing that the team knows you as well um so how does that how does that play out and i mean what does happiness as a mission um, look like to you? Yeah, how does that play out? So it's, it's interesting because the first thing that came to mind, actually the first thing that came to mind is uh, when I first chose that title, and we allow everyone to choose their own titles, but when I first chose that, that title, my team sent me a, uh, you know, kind of a doctored up photo of Ronald McDonald with my, my face in, in the costume, I guess, because at least at that time, the only other chief happiness officer they could find was, was that McDonald's. <laughs> well, I think I maybe Ronald McDonald's the chief happiness officer or something like that anyway, but yeah. But um, I think, um, I mean, for, for me, happiness, I, and I, think, I think about it really in, in a couple of ways. One is just, is just well-being. So, um, I think I think well-being is a is 
is a foundation of, ha of happiness. And so that, you know, that means, you know, trying to tune to myself to my own, my own well-being, you know, both mental and emotional, physical condition, but, but also that of, of, uh, of my, my teammates and other people in the firm. And, um, you know, just an example, like we just found out one of, we're all working remotely and just found out that one of our staff uh, contracted COVID. And, and so, um, you know, some of us got together on the, on the leadership team and said, you know what, let's really, let's, let's offer her some economic support with that. Let's, let's pay her a bonus to cover her expenses related to this. And let's also tell her not to worry about counting this time off as paid time off because we don't want her to skimp on her rest and, and, and recovery. And, um, and, uh, uh so, but just, so, so yes, there's this idea of being very tuned into people's physical well-being, uh, other forms of well-being. And I think the other one for me is really, and I don't always, I mean, I, you know, I fail on both of these all the time. But I think the other one is really cultivating some, some sense of joy. I think, um, I think that it's very easy to think to succeed in business, we have to be very serious. And, and that, you know, that I think often people think that's part of the sort of the professional persona, like if you have to be serious to be professional. And, and where I think we try to cultivate this sense of, no, yeah, let's, you know, we want to make sure we're laughing and that, and that we're, we're um, being lighthearted and, and um, finding joyful, joyful moments that we can experience together. And so, um, so is there a particular practice? Like, I mean, how do you cultivate that? Um, like, I mean, how do you remind yourself of what environment are you creating? And like, I mean, in order to keep that at the forefront, as opposed to just principles of saying, hey, it's important to keep laughter and, you know, sort of in the forefront. But I mean, is there a particular practice? For instance, it may be in the way that you guys invite people to join your partnership team. And I'm, I'm really interested in how how the cooperative decides who, who gets to join the tribe and right. the process that goes through. Um, because it seems like a lot of these principles can actually be addressed right up front. Like, I mean, because if you get the right pe people, I mean, you don't have to like um, push, push a principle uphill. It's just like, oh, hey, now you have, an, you have a playground, guys. Uh, to actually activate what's inherently in you may have not been able to express itself at your previous employer or what you were doing previously, but here you can. Right. Yeah, you know, actually, we should probably have more more practices. I mean, it, it part of it is just uh, lucky to have a team people with sense of sense of humor and and uh, um, not afraid to bring bring that to how we interact with each other. Uh, I will say we have, you know, we have um, at least annual in-person retreats. Often, of course, we're not doing it this year, but in, and we just do some different stuff there. I mean, we do, you know, we do artwork together. I mean, I remember I think last year we got together and I was moving to a new office and one of our projects was, we were, um, did collage, we, did, we used collage to, to, to build, um, vases and planners for my my new, my new office you know yeah um, and and so i mean it's just kind of like i don't know it's sort of out there stuff but at least for a group of lawyers but that is, you know so those are some examples and and i think you know like 
also at our retreat last year, we all went to a Michael Franti concert and uh, <laughs> went dancing, went dancing together. You know, so yeah, uh, yeah. I see. And is there um, like how does your office? Is there a unique way that you interact with like the different? Um, topical areas that the impact space is known for, whether it's gender, uh, systemic justice, climate, uh, you know, community housing, affordable housing. Just like, so where I guess I'm going at is like, where would be sort of the advantage? And you sort of touched on this, but I really want to get at is like, is there any type of education or legal, the way you practice your law that helps other uh, funds, family offices, um, ultra high net worth individuals or corporations better understand those particular areas as well than what sort of a conventional council would, would be able to provide. Yes, I know you're passionate about climate. Yes, I know some in your office passionate about gender. But beyond passion, is there something when somebody contacts you and goes, wow, you know what? Yeah, I'm in climate and I thought I knew a lot, but these guys are delivering a type of relationship in my ecosystem that I wasn't able to find elsewhere. Right. So I think I think what we can offer often offer to clients, especially clients that are sort of you know new to impact investing, new to the field, is I mean one is relationships because you know I've I've been doing this for over over ten years, um, you know, and as and and so so I just. I just, I just know a lot of people. So if, it, if it's someone, cause that's part of, you know, people are entering the field part of really, I think what they want to do and should do is, is get to know people that share their interests and passions and right. And so, um, you know, so if someone says, well, you know, I'm really, you know, kind of really particularly passionate about the environment. I can say, well, you know, you should talk you know, to people doing, you know, these five things, right. And, and make that, make that connection for them. And then, yeah. And so I think, you know, so it's network and then, um, it, and it's also, uh, I mean, maybe that's the biggest difference. I mean, I was in, if we assume the passion piece is there, I, I think probably the biggest, um, you know, thing we can bring to people is having, having a network that we can help plug them, plug them into. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, also I think because, because all we do, I mean, we we're kind of strange in a law firm in, in, in that we have, I mean, just as you have negative and positive screens in investing, right? We have negative and positive screens in terms of the kind of clients we'll take on, mm -hmm. and and so, I mean, and the negative piece is you know, probably pretty straightforward. But on the positive screen, I mean, we really, and we'll make exceptions now, now and then, but but really, I mean, we're we're you know kind of pretty you know narrow, narrow um, group of clients that that we'll work with based on what they're doing in the world and. And, you know, so what that means is, I mean, all of our experience, all, all you know, all what we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis is 100% impact investing or mission-driven business or nonprofit work. And so, so if we have a client that comes to us, oh, I, you know, I want to do, I have this idea about, you know, what I want to do in impact investing around the climate. I think I might have sort of these sort of weird ideas. And, and then I can, I can say, oh, yeah, well, we did, you know, we did these 10 transactions that, you know, maybe not exactly the same, but, but, but similar. And, you know, so we can, we can just bring a sort of deep, deep domain expertise um, to them because this is all that we do. It's not, you know, it's not, 
it's not just a small part of what we do, which would be the case at, at most, most law firms. Now, are you finding yourself, um, you've been doing this for um, a while, and I was curious about uh, sort of the inbox inflow versus when you started versus now. I'm, I'm curious, is there a warrant on the way you work in the world, meaning that people contacting you and you're still having to sort of explain it? Or are you finding it's like people get it and we're, and we're actually able to get the details sooner than what we were previously used to be able to? Or is it still just a, you know, an old fashioned sort of analog situation where it's like, no, we're meeting for the first time. We do have more inflow than we had five years ago. I'm just sort of trying to understand, taking a pulse of the people that work with you and how, and how they get to you and then the volume of that and just trying to get like as a listener i like to know like how's the universe sort of concentrating energy uh right now and particularly around you know blue dot law sure yeah so i'd, I'd say most of the people that get in touch with us now uh, they're not at the 101 level or the entry level i mean they um they uh, have they've had at least some introduction. They kind of understand the basic principles, and um, so we're not. You know, I think there was a time and we we had to do a lot of we did do a lot a lot of explaining to people around sort of you know what it means to be a mission driven business and the, you know, the different ways you can um, incorporate that into your you know the legal work you're doing around developing your company. But yeah, so I, you know, I feel like um, I feel like most people are, are, are getting it now. Um, you, you know, I'd say probably where we still have to do the most education is is around is around entrepreneurs who will come with us with an idea. They'll say, "Well, I have this idea. I think this is you know, I think this is the social environmental impact that I can have." But there's you know, but they still haven't learned a lot yet about. You know, sort of what this whole field is and, and what it what it means. So, um, I think you know probably one thing has changed just, just from doing this for so long. I mean, most of our most of our work comes through referrals at this at this point. So it's so they've you know they're at least enough into the field that they know someone in the field and and, and they're they refer to us. So yeah. yeah. So how do you, uh, you know, I make it a practice, and you touched on this in your last response, um, essentially you talk about network. Um, another way of thinking about that, that is your social capital. Right. In terms of being able to share your social capital. Can you take me a little, I, I actually do, um, I, I'm a big believer in that as well. In fact, I actually give myself, um, you know, targets um, just to make sure that I'm staying honest with that because I feel like, that's part of um, building out the field is actually sharing who I come into contact with. Uh, when when conversations emerge as like, ah, such and such and need this person or people will ask me directly say, hey, do you have a few people in the space? I'm guessing something some, you know, sort of similar happens with you. And there's a particular feel goodness to it. Uh, it's actually giving. Um, but, you know, where does that come from? Um, you know, I'm trying to, um, you know, I love the topic of giving. And uh, yeah, it, talk, it gets talked about in the world of finance as philanthropy, um, because that's the, you know, the giving of money, uh, per se. 
but what's what, like what's happening in the universe when all of a sudden I have shared something that seemingly is attached to me or you know my network and I'm just putting scare quotes around all of these uh, terms like my network and I you know the personal pronoun I but when but but when we convert ourselves into seemingly a channel for um, and activating nodes within an ecosystem what's happening out there like i mean what do you see happening that makes life uh, be reaffirmed and confirmed and sort of life force activated like i mean what's and why is it so hard to do that like well, i mean is it the proprietary silliness that this is my network is it the proprietary silliness that this ego i am doing the introduction and i'm just really interested in as somebody like yourself that emphasizes social capital where is your inner world sort of uh, taking you in terms of like gosh this is really this is a really a dynamic possibility of what life can be like hmm. oh, there's a lot there i i um I will say, I, th I think personally, it probably is a field. And one, one of the things on my mind is uh, this idea that you know, how we do business or how we interact with each other is is so important, and that that really we're not going to we're not going to really be a transformative force in the world unless we transform how we how we interact with each other. And and um, you know, even the point that. You know, think about something like love. Like I think, you know, anyone who's really been has done sort of spiritual work, they have probably done some thinking and about love. I mean, that you tend to find that in the spiritual circles, right? And mm -hmm. and um, in this this sense of this kind of boundless this boundless love that is not just something where you loving people close to you, but loving people you don't know, maybe even loving your enemies, right? And and um, in this, you know, this idea of love, though, it, it, but then there's such a resistance to bring a word like love into the biz business world, or right, and and um, because you know, business or finance has, has been thought of almost as like this exact sign that something is separate from emotion, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, and. Uh, you know, I've been reading the Lorax a lot with my son, and you know, there's this poignant point where, where you know, the, the once, you know, the once slur is looking at the barbalutes, you know, leaving, leaving because of the pollution, and he even admits admits to having a moment of sadness. You know, he's, he's he admits to having a moment of sadness seeing what his business is doing, but then he says he's sort of like. You know, can almost seem like straightening himself up, his head a little higher, and this kind of like, well, business is business, so I, you know, I must do what businesses do and get bigger, right? And and so it's a sort of yeah, this shutting off of emotion. So I often I think about well, what, like, what would happen if we just if we brought all that emotion into what we're doing on a day to day basis with each other, and 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 almost like what if we made love the basis of what of how we interact with each other and how how we do transactions and. and uh, so, so that's, you know, that's 
something that I'm starting to think about more. I even thought about this recently with Marianne Williamson, who, you know, I, I just, like most people, I just sort of laughed her off as like, this is, you know, ridiculous kind of this self-help author who's running for president and, you know, talking about, you know, Donald Trump's trauma and, you know, the need for healing. And, and the reason I thought, you know what, she was actually speaking the truth. And, and just notice how like my default is, you know, if someone up there, even like someone to me who's like really comfortable with these ideas, but if they're up on the stage thinking about running for president, I think, well, that's just crazy. But that's, you know, right. And so, um, yeah, so that, that's what I think. I've been thinking about that. Like, how, how do we, um, how do we get out of our heads a little bit in the business and finance world and, and see, what it's, see what it would be like to lead more with our hearts? Lastly, I want to sum up, you know, as, as a trained counsel, and you talked about love right there, you know, so much of, um, is, so much of the reason why we have certain habits and uh, that we've defaulted, like business is business, right? I mean, that's sort of like a cliched um, click word response to, um, to a lot of things. Um, but it's like how much of it is just entwined in terms of the uh, linguistic schemes that that we have that we use and normalize on a day to day basis that have categorized the world in such ways where it almost seems like the fish doesn't even know it's in water anymore. Uh, and, you know, in your practice, there's always terms like opposing counsel. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering how much of these terms just sort of lead us unreflectively by the nose to actually take on certain behaviors unreflectively and to actually adopt ways that frankly aren't in our interest of well-being. And the irony is, is that sometimes the, the compulsion to follow through um, on that is so powerful that we even know while it's happening and that's like the worst of both worlds, right? It's like, gosh, I know I'm being pulled in this particular direction. I see what's happening. And it's sort of like what you were just saying about uh, Marianne Williamson, where it's like, gosh, I intuitively sort of get it, but the default is set so darn rigid and has a hatch, you know, I, I see a door that's just so crammed that even though cognitively and conceptually, and even at some levels intuitively, yes, I get it, I still have a hell of a time getting there. And so wrapping back, is like, how much of it have you seen is just simply, and maybe not simply, but it's a large part, our linguistic design, our semiotic sphere um, that's creating these actions and, and these reactions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's true, and I, I, I have, I have done some thinking about that, and I've done some thinking about that in the context of, of even, legal documents and, and legal structures, and thinking that, you know, most, most of these, legal forms, grew out of, a time when, you know, we weren't having any of these conversations around economic injustice or racial injustice. In fact, they. You know, they they they're they're really the legacy of of slash and burn, you know, capitalism and and um, hmm. and really what matters is you know who has the economic 
power, right? Yeah. And, and, and so there's there's a lot of oppression. There's a, there's a lot of harm, you know, that has been done through the same forms now that we're trying to to do to use good. And 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 I often think about that. I think that there's a to some extent it's it is frankly it's a, I think a problem that we have is as a field. I mean, there's people who you know there's conversations around reimagining capitalism, right? Um, but we're realizing we're trying to reimagine it in the same fundamental form as it ex has existed as a source of great suffering in the world. So, um, you know, the problem is it takes. And so I've thought about well, what if it, and I have had client projects where I've been allowed to we've been allowed to sort of completely reimagine, like start from a blank slate. Like don't start you're thinking about an investment. Don't say okay, well, can we get equity? It can be this. Or, you know, but just let's just uh, let's just start from like, forget there are no structures out there, and then have have a convert. You know, you know, think this is think about this being the first deal that's ever been done in the history of the world. You know, <laughs> you know right? Yeah. How 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 would you do it? Like, what would seem what would seem fair, and how would you want to resolve disputes? And so, um, but anyway, I think, but it, it is one of these things on the how. I think that we, and I've seen this. I've seen myself make this mistake, and I think we've made this mistake as a field, <clears throat> we're so, in a, in, a, in a way it comes from a good intention, you know, but we have this, we have this sense of urgency, like we need to do things, you know, we need to move money, we need to scale. And, and so again, we get sort of outcome focused of like, I need to get money to work. And, you know, and, 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 and so that, that places, that places a high value on efficiency. And so, of course, you wouldn't want to really go deep into like think like rethinking all these investment structures or rethinking how people, um, you know, looking at sort of the, the words and the contract that they're signing or the you know because that take, takes a lot of time you know sure. and, you know and 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 um, but it, but it is so for me it's like one of those things I think about I think about you know how how deep should we go and. In re in reimagining how how we do things, and uh, I just you know I just finished this um, anti-racist leadership training, and it, <clears throat> it was interesting in, in a couple of ways. One, you know, to impact investing circles. I think for a lot of new people, the message they get is um, essentially you can do this without sacrifice. Like the good thing about impact investing is you can do all of this good and not make any sacrifice. Whereas with this anti-racist leadership training. The first question they asked us is, "What what are you give, what are you willing to give up?" Mm -hmm. You know, um, and and so you, you know from from their perspective, facilitators of this who happen to be people of color and you know probably not with the kind of economic privileges of people leading, let's say, an orientation impact investing. They're you know they're assuming as a given that if you want to do this work in a deep way, you're going to have to give, make some sacrifices. You know, and mm -hmm. and then the other thing you know to really appreciate is they talked about radical imagination you know to if you're if you're thinking about how do you we're thinking about we truly if you believe that we truly have sort of existential problems that we're addressing right um and you and you think that you know 400 plus years of a way of doing business and a way of operating have, have gotten us here like what does it take to to quickly shift into a new way of being and doing that, you know, you're able to kind of quickly move us in a new direction. And, 
so that's why I kind of appreciate this idea of like, not just in a, you know, innovation or reimagining, but radical, you know, radical imagination. And uh, so I, you know, I've been reflecting on thinking about that. Like, do we, are we being radical enough in, in, in the work that we do and how we think about to get where we want to go? Thank you, Bruce. Um, again, here with Bruce Campbell, founder and chief happiness officer at Blue Dot Law. Um, Bruce, you have a, it's a really special quality that you have. You're a deeply reflective in a, in a particular space that, um, you know, you provide a lot of education that the space is operating from a lot of legacy inertia. And, uh, and there's probably a significant amount of good hearted people that are merely using sort of the legacy inertia in a way that just feels so normal and yet in some ways leave so much of our human capacity behind, uh, both for the individuals that are practicing it and then also for everybody else, the collective that's caught up in the web um, because there is sort of an unparalleled influence that law has on, on life um, you know, to a large extent in terms of the current sort of legal uh, structures in terms of the way the world works today. But you've also talked about and really opened my eyes to this idea of how even something that could be as, say this, as um, vertical as a law firm, where you talked about the economic power usually as the top few partners, and but you have you have went through a practice and resigned even your 20 years of experience has the same vote as somebody that just recently got invited into the cooperative. I think there's a lot to learn there. Um, you ended this conversation, your last response was talking about what you're willing to give up. Sure, that was in the context of systemic racism. Uh, but, you know, another way of saying that is like, what series of voluntary losses are you willing to grieve while alive? And in some ways, like in order to become a lighter soul in that body. And so I want to thank you for opening our eyes up and um, uh, at the intersection of impact, law, and wellness. And then right on top of that, your particular uh, journey as it relates to all those facets. So thanks again, Bruce. Thank you, Gino. Thank you for listening to The Journey to Impact. If you enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word by subscribing to this series on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends on your favorite social media platform. For a preview of our previous or upcoming episodes, visit www.poetryofimpact.com. <laughs>